Amen, amen. Well, it is good to be with you, family. Uh, my name is Eddie. I am the lead pastor of Grace Covenant Church Sterling, our Sterling congregation, and it is a, a privilege to get to spend some time with you today as we continue in our series through the, the book of Colossians, this amazing letter that, that Paul gives us. And, and we've been pressing through what are some really dense chapters covering a lot of territory. We've seen this Colossian church uh, struggling with the idea of what it means to, to really live under the lordship of Christ, to really trust this gospel message that they'd heard through Epaphras and, and they understood to believe, but, but there had been some interlopers, some individuals who were, were challenging this view that Jesus plus nothing is everything, as, as Pastor Corey had, had told us weeks before. So we understand this gospel message that, that Jesus plus nothing is it's everything. And yet they're, they're trying to bring some additional things. Maybe if we add some, some different behaviors, if we add some asceticism or, or abstaining from things, then, then we'll be more holy, we'll, we'll be better off, we can add to this gospel. Or if, or if we think about the other amazing uh, aspects of the heavenly realms, these, these angels, maybe there are some other things that we can tap into and believe that will add to this gospel. And, and Paul is emphatically saying, no, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And, and he goes on to discuss so much about this cosmic, amazing, all-encompassing Jesus. He's not just a, a human, although he is human. He's not just a, a man who accomplished some things, but he is God with us. And, we, and I just want to reflect before we get into the word on this preeminence of Christ as we think about who Jesus is and we consider chapter 3. Let's look at first verses one, uh, 15 through uh, through 19, where he talks about how Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn from all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created. All things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. I believe that this section informs our understanding of what he's trying to drive into this people about who Jesus is, what this gospel message means, and how they therefore are to respond. So today we're going to look at uh, Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. Now in, in, in the letters that Paul writes, he often frames his letters in, in this way where the first few chapters discuss kind of uh, a, an exposition of the gospel itself. Now, he caters it to the specific needs of the, the church that he's writing to. In this case, he's writing to the Colossians. So he addresses the, the gospel as it relates to their challenges to understanding and appreciating the gospel. That's what the first two chapters really do. And then in the following chapters, three and four, he goes and he expounds upon what we are to do in light of that. And so today we stand in the middle we stand at this hinge, this pivot point where Paul is going to take us from, from who Christ is and what he's done and this grand, expansive God who's become personal and, and is with us and in whom we find all the promises of God. And he's going to talk about, okay, now this is how we are to respond. So if you would, with me, read along. Uh, if you have the faith for it, stand up as a way of expressing honor and, and gratitude and glory to God in his word, we're going to read Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. God, we come to you and we recognize that, that Jesus, you are awesome. That you are far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come as, as your servant Paul has told us. That Jesus, you are the source of all life and you are the purpose for all life that you are the bringer of all creation and that you stand victorious, that you are sitting at the right hand of the Father and it's from that perspective that we are to look at our lives and consider our circumstances. That it is from the lens of this gospel-filled, heavenly perspective that we are to pursue our life in Christ. God, I pray that you would give us the, the vision of the glory that we have in Christ an understanding of the union that we have with Christ, this connection that we have by the, the mediation of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would cause that to inform every disposition that we have towards our circumstances, our trials, our temptations, that it would change and transform us into a people who see and reflect the glory of God. I pray that you would be with us, expound this word to us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I have, I've personally really benefited and, and enjoyed listening to the exposition, the explanation of, of this, this letter. It's actually one of my favorite letters that Paul writes. When I was a youth pastor, um, actually working with Pastor Corey, he had trained me and, and we went through this with our youth and it was a really neat experience because we were trying to, one, expound what this was saying, but also try to help the, our teenagers understand how to read scripture, how to approach it, how to understand it. And so I, I'm, I'm very passionate about this. And beyond that, Paul gives this amazing view of, of the supremacy of Christ, how, how he is amazing, he is above all things, and at the same time, how we are intimately connected with him. There are these statements of being with Christ and in Christ and, and how we are with him. There's this connection that, that the believers of God have with the Son of God. And it's not just, it's not just a mental ascent, it's not just an agreement, but it's this, this spiritual connection that we have by faith in Christ, mediated by the Holy Spirit in, in us, who allows us to even experience some of the realities there. And it's, a, it's amazing. And so we see in, in, in chapter 3, Paul says this, if then you've been raised with Christ. And, and we need to stop there because we need to look at the fact that he writes in then. And that word in the Greek, it, it can mean then or therefore. But the point he's trying to make is he's signaling that there's a shift that's about to happen. He's been talking in the first two chapters, as I said, about uh, who God is, who Jesus is, what his ministry looks like, and why they don't need to seek after earthly things, whether it's asceticism, as he mentions, or it's, it's other earthly uh, authorities, or it's even angelic things. He does, they don't need to look after other things. He says, if then, talking about who God is and what he's done, if then you've been raised with Christ. So 
we, we want to look at the first two chapters and recognize that God has done something in, in creation, that the gospel message has been given to them, that Jesus died, he rose again, he's victorious over sin, Satan, and the grave, and there's a shift happening in, in Paul's letter, and he's going to take us somewhere else. If then, he goes on to say, you've been raised with Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. It's, it's really clear logic. I love Paul because he speaks in logical terms. You know, I, I appreciate John the Apostle, but if you ever read John, a lot of times he speaks in circles and he speaks in very black and white. You know, it's either this or that and you're kind of left, but what do you mean? What's this middle area? But, but Paul, he speaks with, with logic and he takes a step by step and he says this, if you've been raised with Christ, if you've experienced this resurrection, then this is how you ought to act. Seek the things that are above. Now, what does he mean by the things that are above? He says, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You know, in my life, uh, I, I love driving around. I remember when I was a teenager, I, I turned 16, and I think on that day, I went and took the test and got my driver's license. That's not the case for, for many people now. I don't really understand that, but when I was growing up, driving was the ultimate freedom, and that is something I wanted to do. And, and, and back in the day, there were these things called maps, and it wasn't an app on a phone because there weren't cell phones, there were like these flip phones, I mean, but, but it was an actual thing you printed out, and there was MapQuest, which was actually pretty popular at the time. Um, MapQuest is kind of a joke now. I think that it's still a website, but, uh, you know, we've got Google Maps, Apple Maps, whatever, whatever your flavor is. But we would print out these maps because when you were driving, especially as a 16-year-old, I had no idea where I was going. And, and just driving down the road, I, I didn't know how to get from point A to, to point B. I didn't know because I didn't know the different roads I'd take, the different turns I'd make, and I could get lost. But if I had that map, I could get to where I needed to go because the map provided a perspective that allowed me to see all the turns on one page. It allowed me to see where I was and where I was going. And, and Paul is saying here that there is a perspective that allows you to truly see where you are and where you are going. He says that if you've been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above. Where? Where Christ is. Guys, have this perspective about you that you are seeing the world, that you are seeking to see the world from the perspective of Christ. And we're going to go in and talk about what that means. But the word there, seek, you know, a lot of times if if you played hide and seek, the goal of hide and seek was to seek someone to find and capture them. That's not the seek that we're talking about. This is a kind of seeking in order to, to be aligned to a particular perspective. It's more like, again, if you had an analog compass, not on your phone, but you have a compass, there's a little metal needle and, and that needle is going to seek north. No matter where you turn it, it's going to seek north. And in the same way, Paul is telling us to, to seek, not to possess, not to possess but to, to be oriented towards a view where Christ is. So how do we change this perspective? He goes on in verse 2 and he says this, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So he begins to, to flesh out what he means. 
What does he mean when he says things above? Okay, Paul, what do you mean? What, is, what does it look like? What is it, does it just mean that I, I, I see the world from a bird's eye view? Does it mean that, that I'm, if I'm in heaven, that's, that's in space, and I'm looking down and seeing earth? What do you mean? He says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And that, that word there, set your mind, it's actually one word. It has this, this sense of, of thinking and orienting not only your thoughts, but your will around the things that are above, not on the things that are above, uh, below. See, we, we, we want to have a perspective where we see things from where Christ is, and where Christ is, sin is defeated. Where Christ is, death is defeated. Where Christ is, Satan is defeated. Where Christ is, your life is sure, and it's secure. Now, right now, maybe this Wednesday, you, you're looking at your circumstances and you're saying, I don't know if my life is sure or secure. I, I, maybe you're looking at your bank account statement and you're saying, I don't know if my life is sure or secure. You're looking at your, your health and, and, and your, your chart and you're saying, I don't know if my life is sure or secure. But from God's perspective, from, from God's angle, death is defeated. Satan is defeated. Your life is sure and secure if you are in Christ. Your adoption as a son or daughter in the Father's family, is sure and secure. You may feel in this moment, I don't feel close to you, God. You may feel a sense of, of disconnect. You may feel a distance between yourself and God, but he says, set your mind not on things of the earth, not on your perspective from the earth, but see things in Christ. In Christ, your adoption as a son or daughter in the Father's family is sure and secure. In, in Christ, your trials are being orchestrated for God's glory, and you're good. Yeah, right. But, but he says this. He, Paul says in, 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 in Romans, one of the most famous texts, he says in verse 28 of chapter 8, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good for those who are called according to to his purpose. All things work together for good. The good stuff works together for our good. The bad stuff works together for our good. That is a heavenly perspective because I can tell you on a Wednesday morning when things are going terribly, I do not think this is going for my good. When, when, when I'm having trouble at work, I'm not thinking these things are going for my good, but God is saying from above, no, 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 no. You don't see you're at point A. You don't see point B. I'm bringing you to a place where that is going to be working for your good. You want to look at your life from Christ's perspective. And from Christ's perspective, he sees the beginning and he sees the end and he sees you in the middle and he's taking you and me somewhere. He's taking the Colossians somewhere. He's saying, here's this gospel message that's been, it's been brought to you. It's given you new life. It's allowed you to relate to God. It's, it's hidden you in Christ. It's given you a new identity and I'm taking you somewhere. Don't go off to the left. Don't go off to the right. Don't try to, to take turns without having this heavenly perspective. Your circumstances are, are not capricious turns of bad luck, but, but they're instruments of God's sanctifying work in your life. Paul contrasts this with the, the things that are on the earth. He says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are earth. Now, it's, it's our second nature to set our minds on, on things that, that are above. It's our second nature, or to, to set our minds not on things that are above, but things that are on earth. It's our second nature to, to wake up on a Monday and say, it is Monday. I have to go to work. I'm stressed out. 
I'm driving on 28 and the traffic is terrible. I'm on 66 and things are, I'm already angry on my way to D.C. You know, it, it, the, the election's coming and whether you're on the right or the left or in the middle or in space, things are, are ch- challenging. They're difficult. They're concerning. And, and it's easy for us to have a perspective where we're just looking at street level. We don't see point B. We don't know how we're going to get to point B. And we're saying, I, I can't do it. He says, no, 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 don't have that perspective. You need to raise your eyes up. You need to look with this heavenly perspective. God doesn't call us to ignore our circumstances. He doesn't call us to ignore the world around it, but he calls us to view it with Christ as king. You know, you, you may be wringing your hands about this election. Again, whether you're on this side or that side, you may be saying, if, if it doesn't come out my way, I don't know about the future of our nation. If it doesn't come out my way, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. But, but God calls us, Paul is calling us up to view Christ as king. Christ is Lord of your life. Christ is the master of all. Not this president or that president. Not even this government or this nation. God doesn't call us to ignore the sin within us and the sin in the world, but he calls us to view it, to see it from a heavenly perspective. Again, where where Jesus is king. This is the thing that allows us to to forgive, to walk in love. You you can't walk in love if you feel like you're not sure of what tomorrow will bring. You can't walk in love. You can't be vulnerable to people if you're not sure that at the end of the day, God will will judge and God will bring vengeance and God will, will make all things that are wrong right. But if you have this heavenly perspective, if you have this perspective that Paul's calling us up to that understands that, that in the end Jesus wins, then you can say, whether or not I win today, whether or not I lose today, I know that Jesus wins and I am in Jesus. God calls us to view life with a heavenly perspective. The Colossian church was in danger of seeking things from an earthly expected perspective. Sure, Jesus did a lot, they said, but, but we, we need to add something to this. We need to supplement Jesus' work. And, and we all face the temptation to see things from this earthly perspective to try and add things. To see pain and suffering without the attendant purpose that God has for it. To, to see our lives without Jesus as king to try and control our life and say, you know what, Jesus, you did a great job forgiving me of my sins, but I'm going to run things now. And Paul says, no, 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 you need to see things from his perspective where he is in control and he is leading. So this is the, this is the view that God is calling us up to. He, he's inviting us. He's saying, come up here and see things from where I am. It's going to bring clarity. It's going to bring peace. It's going to bring motivation. It's going to bring comfort. It's going to bring power. But, but how, do we, how do we know this can be ours? Paul goes and he grounds the first two verses with, with verse three. He says this, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, like I said, I love Paul because he's logical. And he says, you know what? You need to lift your eyes up to this heavenly perspective. And, and we might be tempted to say, but how can we trust that that, that perspective is the perspective that, that's for us? And he says, it's simple because you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Spiritually speaking, we're up there with him. Spiritually speaking, we are are with Christ. We have all the benefits of Christ. Even though we may not experience it in this moment, there's this, this mystical union 
Theologians call it union with Christ. And it's this connection we have with Christ that, that all the things that Christ purchased by his death and resurrection, we can experience. The idea that we're forgiven for our sins, that's because of what Christ did and we're connected to Christ. And since Christ did that, we receive the benefit of that. The idea that we are holy is because we're connected with Christ who is holy. As we will see, the, the idea that God is glorious, that Jesus is glorious, that he's beautiful and amazing and radiant and powerful and, and awesome, we're connected with that. And one day we will see in fullness that, that we are connected to Christ in his glory. We can set our mind on Christ. We can seek the things that are above because we have died. Now, I'm saying that as a person whose heart is still beating. That doesn't mean that, that we die physically. It means that we are dead to our previous self. We are unresponsive as it relates to our, our, our previous perspective. The life that I lived trying to, to control my circumstances, trying to run my life, trying to be autonomous, trying to be separate from God, that life is dead, and I'm dead to those temptations, and I'm alive to Christ. We are dead, but we're also alive. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. How, again, this letter is, it's, it's amazing. Let's just step back. Your life, my life, is hidden. And it's not just hidden like it's a nice thing and, and, and God is happy with us and we can have this positive relationship. But no, your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's, we, we participate in the life of God. I mean, there's something magnificent and huge and amazing and eternal about that reality. And it's when we can tap into this, when we can see the breadth and the depth and the length and the height of this glorious truth that we can look at sin and say, that's small. When we can look at temptation and say, that's small. When we can look at suffering and say, that is small. My God is big. And I'm tied to my God, and he is glorious, and I'm tied to him. I'm connected to him. And all of a sudden, that, that earthly perspective begins to look mundane. It begins to look provincial. It begins to look silly when we can see how big God is. We see that our old life is dead and our new life is in Christ. And because of this new life, we have this amazing, amazing hope to look forward to. Look at verse 4 with me. When Christ, who is your life, appears, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, glory is one of those words that we just kind of bandy around. And, oh, glorious. That was glory. And we, we, we can kind of say it enough times that it begins to lose its meaning. But, but Paul has been going to great lengths to, in this letter, especially to show the meaning of that glory. Again, if we were to go back to, I'm not going to read it all, but talking about God, talking about Jesus, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created. Jesus was the, the, the manner and the means by which all things were created. In heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authority. He's trying to say God is, Jesus is glorious. All things were created through him, and not only through him, but also for him. He's so glorious that things are made for him in order to, to bring glory to him, to show how awesome and great and big and, and, and radiant he is. He's glorious. And we 
get the privilege of participating in that glory. And that's crazy. I mean, it it would be the grace of God and the goodness of God and the love of God to just say, I forgive you of your sins. But he doesn't just say that. He says, I'm gonna forgive you I'm going to justify you, I'm going to sanctify you, and I'm going to glorify you. He, he says in Romans, in that, in that same section that I, that I read before, that, that we, we will be glorified with him. He says, those whom he predestined, he called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. We get to participate in the glory of God because we are hidden with Christ in God. Because we are dead, because we have died, and because we are hidden with Christ and we're alive with Christ in God, we get to experience a a grand hope, a cosmic hope, a future glory. Your life and my life, it's so much more than 80 years and then nothing. Your life and my life, it's so much more than, than, than what we do and even the legacy we create for, for generations to come. We were made for eternity. You and I, we were made to participate with God for eternity, to celebrate, to be joyful, to be happy, to glorify God, to show his awesomeness, to show his creative genius, to show his magnificence as we enjoy him forever. So much of that is 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 in the word glory. In Revelation, I won't go there, but in Revelation, there's a picture of Christ that, that I like to refer to sometimes because I think that when we think about Jesus, a lot of times we can think about the long hair, you know, svelte, skinny, um, gaunt-faced Jesus with a, a sheep on his shoulder and just kind of with, with some, some tevas on. And we think of him like that. Kind of this effeminate Jesus. In, 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 in Revelation, there's this picture of Jesus coming on a white horse with a linen robe dipped in blood, eyes of fire, and a sword coming out of his mouth. It's a little different, a little freaky, but there's something, there's something that commands our attention when we begin to think about our God as a warrior God who's going to finish what he starts. There's something... Uh, that, that stirs up in my soul, and I think in, in our souls corporately, when we begin to think that God is, he's not just meek and mild, but he's powerful and strong. And he's, he's going to finish what he starts. We have a hope. Paul's calling us and saying, you have a hope when Christ, who is your life, your life is so much bigger than your own idea of your life. Christ is your life. Then you will also appear with him in glory. And when you begin to see this, and, and as we continue, he's going to lay out the realities of this. Because of this, we can put to death certain things in our soul. We can, we can say no to sin. And because of this, we can put on God's goodness and we can live a particular way. Because of this reality, we can be different. Because of the reality that we will one day experience the glory of God, that we will become in some way the glory of God. Because of this reality, we can here and now for the next few decades live dramatically different, radically different, empowered, strengthened, encouraged to live differently in a culture that can only see things from an earthly perspective. 
In light of this future, we can look at tomorrow and, and trust Jesus. In light of this, this future, we can face trials and temptations because we are tethered by faith to the power of God and the goodness of God in Christ. Paul is asking us right now to pivot, to, to, to look at our lives and say, what is your perspective? What are you looking at? And where are you looking from? Are you, just, are you just driving around trying to make it from point A to point B? Or have you begun to, to lift your eyes to where Christ is so that you can see the map? You can see that, yes, I am in point A and there's a lot of traffic right here, and that traffic of suffering and trials and temptations, it's really frustrating, but I know that I'm going to get to point B. And this point B is glorious. It's amazing. It's fantastic. It's everything I was meant for. What is your perspective? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Victorious, righteous, holy, strong, and remember that if you, if you follow him, then you are in him and you will one day experience his glory. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you love us and that you, you invite us into this amazing reality that, that there's the, the shadow of, of this world does not compare to the reality to come. And we can, we can almost only just scratch the surface to see the light come through, to see the light of the promise of your glory that we get to experience as a result of our, our union with Christ. God, I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to embrace a perspective from heaven, to see things from above, to see our suffering from above, to see our trials from above, to see our, our sin from above, and to be able to relate to it from the perspective of Christ, knowing that, that you have won the victory and that even as we walk this life out that we can trust you because we know the outcome.